We're starting a new series in Ecclesiastes. How many of you guys are like, I'm glad that marriage stuff is over with. Um, so we're starting a new series. And uh, one of the things, I just want to give you a forewarning as we go into this book. And even the way that I'm going to teach is going to be a whole lot different than we did our marriage series. Um, because one of the things that Solomon is really good at in Ecclesiastes is just asking a ton of questions without giving answers. He's a lot like your kids. Like, he just asks a ton of questions, and he gives no answers. But the reason that he does this, he asks question after question after question, and it's meant to make us go, why do I believe what I believe? Why do I do what I do? Why do I act this certain way? Or why does my attitude present itself negative in these certain situations? But I think the question that has been asked for centuries is a question that most of us spend our lives trying to unravel, and it's this. What is my purpose on earth? Show of hands. How many of you guys have ever asked yourself that question? Like, why am I here? What is my purpose? What is the whole purpose of God dropping me off, creating me, making me, and planting me in Crowley, Louisiana? Like, God, seriously, of all the places that you could have put me, you put me in Crowley. Why? Like, what is my purpose? Do you ever ask yourself the question, like, what, what am I supposed to do with my life? Or what does it all mean? The truth is, all of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, we want our life to mean something, right? We want our life to mean something. We want to be on this earth for a purpose. We want to accomplish something. And we're even more honest with ourselves. All of us, greatest fear is one single word, and it is loneliness. We all fear loneliness. And we fear loneliness because of the fact that we want our lives to mean something. And when we find ourselves lonely, it must mean that maybe we don't have a purpose here on this earth. Now, the one thing that God has wired us and designed us to do is he's designed us to crave meaning, to crave purpose, and to want to, to, have, uh, to, to make a difference here on this earth. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have purpose. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have meaning. Where it gets mixed up is, where do we find that purpose? Where do we find meaning from? Like, what gets us out of the bed in the morning? Like, what do we get excited about? What is your source of joy? What are you depending on to make your life worth it? It's a real question. Like, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Like, when you wake up and they say, hey, what do you do? Like, what, what is your purpose here on this earth? What would you say? What would you say? As Christians, I think uh, we're really good at giving cop-out answers. Right? Because as Christians who grow up, especially in South Louisiana, who probably go to church all of their lives, um, the problem with most of us is... We know the answers to all the questions that people are asking. So we respond in the right way so that we don't get a negative response. But when we respond, it's not really how we really feel. So I ask you again, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Is it really Jesus? Is it really Jesus? Is it? Can you really say, well, Jesus is my everything. He is what gives me purpose. He is what give, gives me meaning. A lot of us claim Jesus as our Lord, but the truth is we look to a thousand functional saviors every day to make our life worth living. 
Because let's just be honest, tangible things that we can see and grasp give us a whole lot more security than a God that we can't at times. And I'm not saying this is good. And let me give you an example of functional savories. Like, some of us find our purpose and our joy and our meaning in our bank account, like how much we have in it. Or how good our relationship with our husband or our wife is going. Or maybe our, boyf our boyfriend or our girlfriend. Or maybe some of us find meaning in our personal knowledge and our wisdom. Or maybe in pain pills or maybe in other things. I don't know if you've figured this out yet, but the world is going to do absolutely everything that it can to destroy your purpose. The world is going to do absolutely everything that it can to remove meaning from your life. Here's what the world tells you. Don't stop. Go a thousand miles an hour. Never be silent because the moment that you stop is the moment that you have a head-on collision with your heart and you realize that you're desperately sick. So here's what the world wants to do. It wants to inoculate you. It wants to numb you. It wants to keep you busy. Any like busy bodies in here? Like you have a hard time just sitting down? You know what? Sometimes that's good and sometimes that's really bad because sometimes behind that, the reason you stay busy, the true motive behind that is the second that you slow down is the second that you have to think about your life and your relationships and your world and your heart. Or maybe we don't stay busy, maybe we just numb ourselves, maybe we just sit in front of a TV, or maybe we scroll on Facebook for hours and hours and hours and hours, because there's just mindless things, we don't have to think. <coughs> but the truth is, there's got, to be more, there's got to be more to life than what we see, right? There's got to be more than, to life than just getting out of the bed in the morning, grabbing a cup of coffee, getting kids ready, changing poopy diapers, and going to work, and coming back, and doing it all over again. There has to be more to life than that. But the truth is, a lot of us spend our lives trying to secure something that Jesus has already secured for us. So Ecclesiastes is going to ask the questions that the rest of the Bible is going to Ecclesiastes is all about Solomon. He's at the end of his life, and he's looking over his life, and he's saying, hey, everything under the sun, meaning here on this world, this is what we're calling the series, under the sun, everything under the sun, everything in this world, without Christ, it means absolutely nothing. He says, I've searched my entire life to try to find meaning under the sun, to try to find purpose here on this earth in relationships, in possessions, in all these things, and I've come to find that none of them give me purpose and meaning like Jesus does. So, for sake of time, um, I'm going to real quick just give you an overview of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Because in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, Solomon is going to go on this rant. He's just going to kind of like say what he feels. Anybody ever do that? Like that person looks at you and you're like, oh, fuck. They're, they're about to get it. About, anybody ever do that? Like you just go on a rant? That's what Solomon is going to do in chapter 1. And basically he goes on this rant and he says, life is vanity. Meaning like life is meaningless. All is meaningless. Kind of depressing, right? Then he starts to say, what does man even gain by his toil and all his working and everything? What does man gain by getting out of bed in the morning and going to work and making a living? At the end of the day, he's just going to die anyway. 
So you start reading this book and you're like, God, like, why? Like, this is this sucks. This is depressing. So what does Solomon all mean? What does he mean? Is he saying that we should just give up and, and die? No, that's not what he's saying at all. The Bible, if you don't realize this, it, it's one story in three parts. One story in three parts. God made all things good, like everything was good. Food, animals, trees, everything. Everything was good. Then the second part, we broke it all. We broke it all. And then the third part of the Bible is God sending Jesus to come and rescue us. God sending Jesus to come and rescue us. So what Solomon is looking at in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's looking at a world without Christ. He's saying everything is vanity and everything is meaningless if the purpose of your life is just what you see here on this earth. Outside of Christ, nothing matters. Outside of Christ, nothing matters. Do you ever find yourself on a quest for meaning, for purpose? Do you ever wake up in the morning and just go like, why, what am I doing? Another two-week hitch and then coming back and I'm off. And then do it all over again. Like, what is the purpose of all of this? We're all searching Solomon is explaining a life in a broken world and saying, if this life is all we have, then it's vanity, then it's meaningless. Guys, you can relate with me on this, and maybe you've seen this in the workforce, so let me give you an example. You can work your fingers to the bone only to have some young guy come behind you and screw it all up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like maybe you get out on the rig and you've been doing this for 30 years. And you're building the project, and you're doing it, and it's all right. You have some young guy who's been in the workforce for maybe six months. He's like, well, what you really need to do is you need to tighten that screw. And you're like, dude, I'll slap you silly. I've been doing this for 30 years. I mean, think about it this way. You can build your whole life. You can save up your money and say, hey, I'm going to leave a legacy for my grandkids and my future grandkids. All the money that you work for, you will one day die and you will not possess any of it. None of it. So this is what Solomon's saying. He's saying we can work, we can toil, we can do all these things, but life is meaningless without Christ. Because the truth is, all of our work and all of our striving will one day cease and the only thing that's going to matter in this life is our relationship with Jesus. Because I don't know if you realize this or not, but we're eternal beings. Like this life under the sun is not all we have. There is life after death. And that in reality is all that matters. So the main theme of this entire series that's woven all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes is this. You can have everything and still have nothing if Jesus is not your everything. You can have everything and still have nothing if Jesus is not your everything. Because Solomon, he was the richest, wisest human being that ever walked the face of the earth. There is, it says, the Bible says, there is no man, even in the modern day, that will be able to match his wisdom or his wealth. Although he was full of wisdom and wealth, his heart began to grow weary. There is a God-shaped hole in his heart. 
And I use those words very specifically. There is a God-shaped hole in the heart of every human being. And if we are trying to fill it with something else other than God, it doesn't fit. Simple example. I have a one-year-old. You know those games where they take the triangle and you're like, put it in the circle. And they have the star and you're like, put it in the moon. Well, he has no concept. He has a triangle and he's like, go in the circle spot. It doesn't work. And he can try all he wants and it's not going to fit. Maybe he can cram it in there, but it's not going to last long. So look at, let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And this is where we're going to pick this up. Chapter 2, verse 1. It's going to be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. If you want to turn with me, you can. Chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. This is Solomon speaking. He said, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. So this is what he's saying to his heart. He's saying, listen, I'm about to give you everything that you want. Any pleasure, any desire, let, let's go for it. But then he says, but behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom and how to, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. And he's about to recount everything that he did. It says, I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them, all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water forests of growing trees. I bought male and female servants. I had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kingdoms and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines or prostitutes, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were, with, who all were, who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever, listen to this, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. Found, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. And in verse 11, then I considered all the things that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there is nothing to be gained under the sun. So check this out. Solomon had everything he could have ever wanted. He had 700 wives, like we talked about last week. 700 wives, 300 concubines. Listen, you thought you could throw a party in high school? Like, you thought your parties were awesome? They, they, they looked like a five-year-old girl's birthday party compared to what Solomon could throw. The Bible says that during, he went through this spout where he's searching for the significance, searching for meaning, that he would throw these parties. And it said at each party, anywhere from about 15,000 to 20,000 people would show up. Like you thought you were cool in high school with like a keg and a few like, you know, burgers in the backyard. Solomon had about 15,000, 20,000 people show up at his party. And you know what the meal was? An entire herd of cattle. It says for one day he would kill an entire herd in deer and venison and all these things. He would like herds of animals. 
Like, you imagine that? Like, hey, Jethro, like, go kill the herd. Go kill the herd. We got some friends coming over. He made your parties look miserable. He made your parties look miserable. This guy knew how to party. He knew how to throw down. And then it says, after he began to party, he was miserable. So he took upon himself servants. He's like, man, I don't want to wash the dishes anymore. I'm just going to hire somebody to do it. I don't want to clean my house anymore, so I'm going to hire somebody to do it. You know what? I don't even feel like getting dressed by myself anymore. Hey, can you put my jacket on for me? He had enough money to last him lifetimes. <coughs> Whatever his eyes desired, he took it. He kept his heart for no pleasure. And even after all of his achievements, possessions, and great parties, he still declares he's miserable. He's miserable. Listen, you can have everything that this world has to offer and still have nothing if you don't have Jesus. Like, whatever you think that you need to get you to that place of happiness, it is nothing in comparison to Christ. There's nothing to be gained under the sun. There's nothing this world has to offer that will ever fill your cravings for purpose or meaning. Think about it this way. Those of you that spend hours and hours on sculpting your body and working out, is it perfect yet? Nope. Those of you that crave knowledge and read, like, do you have all the wisdom of the ages yet? No. no. Some of you are like, man, I'm still trying to get through one book, and I'm 50 years old. <laughs> Those who struggle with alcoholism or addiction, has it given you the high that you needed yet to say, man, I just got so high I don't have the cravings anymore? Has it given you what you're looking for? No, there is nothing under the sun that is going to give you what you look for other than Jesus. If our pursuits here on this earth are what we live for, then it's meaningless. So here's the good news. Like I said earlier, Ecclesiastes is going to raise all the questions and the rest of the Bible is going to answer them. So here's the good news. John 4, 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give, he will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water of welling up to eternal life. Like if our meaning and our purpose is wrapped up in Christ, then we will never long again. We will never long again. I remember um, this was in 2005, and I was starting my first year of Bible college. And uh, I quite honestly did not want to be there. Um, I had a longtime girlfriend, which is my wife now. And I knew that going there, that there, I mean, there would be a lot of just discommunication because you get involved in all kinds of things and work and all that stuff. And so I didn't really want to be there. And I remember the first three, four months were just absolutely miserable because I did absolutely everything that I could to find purpose and meaning outside of Christ. 
Like, hey, maybe I can find purpose in getting really smart. Or, hey, maybe I can find purpose in, at that time, I'm working on video stuff. If I can get really good at this, then people will know that my life is significant and I can be really good at a skill. I was wrapped up in that kind of thinking. And as dumb as this sounds, I remember um, laying down in my bed at night, and I'm in a dorm at this time, so you're in with all these other guys. I remember 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, I can't sleep. Because I was so miserable. I'm like, God, what is going on? If this is the rest of my life, if this is the rest of my relationship with you, then this is awful. And I remember just this, it was not this audible voice from God, okay? It was just this still, small whisper in my spirit that said, if you're thirsty, then drink. If you're thirsty, then just drink. So, listen, so many times in Christianity, in church, and even in a relationship with Jesus, we try to make it so complicated. Like, listen, if you are looking for something, if you're looking for purpose, if you're looking for meaning, you're really thirsty right now. And the only way that you're going to find any significance, the only way that you're going to satisfy that desire is what John 4.14 says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. You'll never be thirsty again. Listen, there is no shopping bag that is going to give you the high that you need and going to carry you out for years to come. There is no car that is going to give you some purpose or meaning and satisfaction. Here's the thing about new stuff. When you get new stuff, what happens? Like for a few days, you're like, man, this is awesome. And then you have a commercial that comes on TV. Hey, that car you just bought, it's totally outdone. We just made this one. Are you serious? Apple's notorious for this. Hey, we just came out with the iPhone 6. Yes! Just kidding, we came out with the iPhone 7. Why? What are they doing? They're playing on you. What you have is not enough. You need more, you need more, you need more, you need more. And we get into this endless cycle of meaningless, of vanity, of living life under the sun, looking for purpose, looking for meaning, everywhere but Christ. Meaning is unattainable outside of Christ. Because here's the truth, people live and people die. We save money, we spend money, we build businesses, and we hand them over to the next generation. Everything that you work for here under the sun will one day pass away and it will mean nothing. And I don't say that to be depressing. I say that I want you to get into the reality that this life is so short and the only thing that you can hold on to is Christ. You know, especially in church all the time, we talk about building a legacy leaving a legacy, and we, we talk about them. Those things are important, but at the same time, I, they're kind of funny. They're kind of funny. You know why? Because no matter what you leave behind 50 years from now, people are going to forget you. And, and, and let's say, um, let, let me put it in perspective. Do you know your great, 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 great grandparents? Like, do you know the significance of their life? No. Because time has gone, time has passed. The only thing that made any difference for them, the only thing that would matter, the only way that they can carry on is having a relationship with Jesus. 
Ultimately, in Ecclesiastes, God is revealing to us what life is like without Him. <clears throat> that life without God is just a cycle. That life without Christ is just you getting on this train and never getting off of trying to find meaning everywhere that you can put your hands to. Ultimately, Ecclesiastes is designed to bring us to our knees, and the author wants us to realize how futile life is without Jesus. So, so let me pause for a moment. If you don't know Jesus this morning, this is an invitation to know him. Because let me tell you something, all of your pursuits, everything that you're looking for to find meaning in that boy in that girl, in that relationship, in that security of that money, in your bank account. All those things are futile if you do not have Christ. They cannot sustain you. You know why? Because we're flawed beings. We're fallen beings. So the question is this. What is such a bleak and depressing book doing in the Bible? This is my personal opinion, okay? I'm not a scholar, so don't take it as one. It's my personal opinion. I believe Ecclesiastes is in the book, in the Bible, because the truth is most of us will not run to the great physician until we realize how desperately sick we are. Most of us don't run to Jesus until, like, our arms are falling off. Most of us don't run to Jesus until we realize how wicked our heart really is. Ecclesiastes is in the Bible because Jesus wants you to see how desperately sick you are without him. How desperately sick you are without him. And Paul says this. Listen, without Christ, we're dangerous. This is what Paul says, Romans 7, 24-25. He says, wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. You can have everything and still have nothing if you don't have Jesus. You can have everything and still have nothing if you don't have Jesus. Let's finish out chapter 2. Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 2, verse 24. And this is Solomon. He says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given him wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. What is Solomon saying here? Ultimately, he's saying that apart from God, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? So let me, let me put it this way. Here on this earth, under the sun, there are good things to be enjoyed. 
there are good things to be enjoyed. They're not bad things. Like, for instance, let me give you an example. Like, when you, my wife and I were talking about this last night, but any guys in here, like, you just, like, you love a good steak. Anybody? Like, who just loves a good steak? I like mine, like, still bleeding. Okay, like, medium rare. Some people, my wife thinks that's disgusting, and she thinks I'm going to get a disease every time I eat it. But I like it like that. And every time you bite into that steak, what do you do when you put it in your mouth? You're like, oh my God, this is so good. This is so good. Or maybe you go to Walmart and you have a certain candy that you like and you like chocolate. Women, you know chocolate. You put it in your mouth, you're like, thank you God for making chocolate. Like there are good things to be enjoyed. And God put them here for our enjoyment. Like I'm a Coke guy. I love Coke. Dr. Pepper is from the devil. I love Coke. <laughs> and, and, we, and listen, there's, look, I'm going to take a little bunny trail here. I'm going to be my dad for a second. For a second, you, Coke, there's different ways to drink it. There's in a bottle, there's in a can, and there is in the glorious fountain. Right? Like the fountain Coke is just absolutely Amazing. Amazing. Like, when I stop at a gas station and I have a choice of Coke, I'm going straight to the fountain. Why? In the bottle, the can is good, but it just doesn't taste as good. I enjoy those things. I love those drinks. And when I take a drink of them, I say, man, this is good. I love Coke. I love steak. But here's the thing. If you don't know Jesus, if your life is not submitted to Christ, then that is your reward. Those good things here on this earth, that's all you got. That is your reward. That steak, that Coke, that candy, that chocolate, that is your reward. That's God being a good God and giving us good things. But in the end, when it comes down to it and we end our lives when we die, if our lives were not submitted and surrendered to Christ, that was our reward. Not eternity with Jesus. That's what Solomon is saying. But remember, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Will never be thirsty again. Blaise Pascal, he was a French kind of philosopher, and he said this, he said, We're all disinherited princes. Meaning this, that remember I told you in the very beginning that the Bible was one story in three parts. So it was God made everything good. We broke it all, and then Jesus came to fix it. But one time, we were all meant to be with Jesus. Like, there was going to be no sin. There was going to be no fall. And we belong to Christ. All of us in here belong to Christ. It's the reason that we're constantly searching. It's the reason that we're constantly pursuing meaning and purpose. It's this disinherited prince. Like, we know we belong to Christ. We know that he is ours. And we know that we should give our lives and surrender and submit to Him. And it's why we keep searching. And I think the best story of this is the prodigal son. So the prodigal son, if you have never heard the story in the Bible, he basically goes to his father and he says, hey, listen, Dad, I know you have an inheritance for me. I want it now. And so the dad goes, okay, I'll give it to you now. You know, you just need to be wise with it. So he takes it and in the, like, he goes to Vegas. 
He takes his inheritance, and the Bible says he squanders it. He spends it on gambling. He spends it on just pleasure, on women, on all these things. And then he finds himself eating with pigs because he has nothing left. And the only thought that he has is going, man, my father's servants have it better than I do. So you know what his thought is? He says, I need to go back to my father to find any kind of purpose and any kind of meaning. And here's what's interesting. He knew immediately. When he went out and he took his inheritance, he knew what he was doing was filling his own desires and his own pleasures. And when he came to the end of himself, when he realized he was desperately sick, he realized the only purpose and the only meaning that he could find is by going back to the Father. And here's the interesting thing that I love about this story. It's been preached a million times. But when he goes back to the Father, does his Father go, Son, I can't believe you blew it. It says he takes off his robe, he puts it on his son, he takes off his rings, he gives it to his son, and he tells the servants, he says, go kill the best lamb. We're going to party tonight. My son is back. See, that's the response to the father. Like, if you've been living in the world, if you've been trying to find meaning and purpose outside of Jesus, when you come to Christ, it's not like he just slaps you upside the face and he's like, what have you been doing? He loves you. He brings you in. He says, I want you to be a part of the family. There's grace for you. There's mercy for you. Solomon had it all. And he was miserable. Deep down we know the meaning can never be found in our futile efforts, in our searching. With anything under the sun. Because the truth is, under the sun, that blank will never be filled in. Like, whatever that blank is for you, like, if you say, okay, once I get this, then I will really be happy. No, you won't. Because once you get it, now there's a new blank. Okay, I got the car. Okay, now, now, now what do you do? You start longing for something else. Under the sun, the blank will always be empty, and you're always going to be trying to fill it with just meaningless stuff. We all must drink from the source of life to truly have life. Jesus is the only one that brings meaning. He's the only one that gives us purpose. And here's the thing that I love about Ecclesiastes. The rest of the Bible shows us. We may be under the sun, but God is beyond the sun. We may be under the sun, but he is beyond the sun. So we may be searching in all of our futile efforts, looking for purpose and looking for meaning. And maybe one day we come to the end of ourselves and we say, what am I doing? In that moment, whenever you're ready to surrender and submit, you have to know that your father is loving and says, come home. He doesn't look at you and say, okay, well, you know what? Um, I really want you home, but you know what? You need to clean yourself up a little bit. No, as you are right now, with your burdens, with your junk, with your stuff, come. Come. The only thing in this life that matters, the only thing that matters is Jesus. You can have everything and still have nothing if Jesus is not your everything. 
You can have everything. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. Women, there's no amount of makeup. There's no amount of clothes. There's no amount of shopping. There's no amount of how well behaved your kids are that is going to give you the purpose and the longing that you so desire. There is no man on the face of this earth that can give you what you need. And listen to me, women, if you're looking for your man to be that all in all, you're putting a crushing weight on them that they can never fulfill. You know why? They're not God. They're flawed. They're going to hurt you. Men, there is no amount of toughness. There is no amount of like pride and persona that you can give off. There's no job or position at work or social status that is going to give you the longing and meaning that you so desire. Jesus is the only one that can do that. And listen, church, I'm not saying all this stuff because I have it all down packed and figured out. There are times in my own life when I have to catch myself and go, what? hold on, I'm searching for meaning outside of Christ. searching for meaning outside of Christ. But listen, it's when we come back and we say, okay, God, I'm in a fight. And in a fight, sometimes you bleed. And sometimes you get hurt. But I'm going to keep going. Because if I stop, that's how I lose. Remember, we're in a race. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Right? So I don't, I don't, I don't care what your past is. I would go as far as to Jesus doesn't either. Listen, he comforts you for what you've been through. And he wants to help you get out of that. But he's not looking at it as a condition. I can't help you because you've done this. No, whatever it is, come to him. Come to him. You can have everything and have nothing. If Jesus is not your everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we pray that this morning, God, that these would not just be words, but God, that this book would truly come alive to us, God, that your spirit would speak to us and convict us and challenge us. God, that we would go home asking ourselves deep questions, maybe even questions like, God, are you really what get, gets me out of bed in the morning? Am I wrapping my purpose and my meaning up in who you are and what you've done? Or am I trying to find it in a thousand other functional saviors? God, we thank you for sending your son. God, we thank you for the cross. God, we thank you for redemption. We thank you for grace. In Jesus' name.